Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Vernique Esther. She's a blogger, a licensed master's social worker, and the founder and creator of Authentically Wed, which is a platform dedicated to empowering men and women to their healthiest and most authentic selves as believers and in their intimate relationships. She aspires to use her influence, testimony of divorce, and giftings as a source of freedom and encouragement for all who she comes in contact with. And Veronique is a bold and courageous voice for millennial Christians and lives from a place of transparency. So please welcome to the show, Veronique Esther. Hey! I'm so hey. excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Absolutely. Any opportunity to like share my story and to just, I don't know, just be, share that light. Like I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Awesome. So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by, but a title that's not given enough significance is our name because our names have meaning. And every time someone says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you. And I had Googled your name and I couldn't find it. So I would love to know where your parents came up with your name and the story behind it. That is so funny. So honestly, when I like Google the meaning of my name, I normally go to the next closest thing, right? So Vernique, Veronique is, ne- is really the next closest like name Mm -hmm. but for me I'm actually my background is I am um, Afro-Caribbean so my mother is Haitian my father is from West Africa Um, but I was raised like primarily in that Caribbean culture and um, people often find this weird but technically I'm a junior so my grandfather's name was is um, Vernick but it's pronounced the same in French Vernick so yeah and it's just my mom is really close with her father and decided to honor him by naming me the more feminine version of his name. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. So I love to start from the beginning before we get to where you are currently. So what did you want to be when you were a little girl? I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, It's really funny that you even asked me that question. I was digging through that with my coach this week. And so, yeah, I always wanted to be a doctor since I was like four years old. Hmm. Okay. So how did you get into social work? I know, right? So (laughs) um, actually my 12th grade year in high school, I took an anatomy and physiology class and I was not doing so well. And normally I was like an honor roll student. Um, I wasn't doing so well. And I realized like, I don't really want to learn this. And that's really the foundation of, you know, what being, what being the medical field is all about, knowing those things. And so I kind of did some soul searching. And during that season, um, the Lord really just reminded me that I was not like, he really stripped me down. I also used to like sing. And so I lost my voice during that time. 
And after um, just searching, I felt like, well, God, I'm like, I'm nothing. I can't sing right now. I, I don't know what I want to be. I'm applying to all these schools as bio pre-med, but I just realized this is not what I want to be. So like, who am I? If I'm not a doctor and if I'm not a singer, who am I? And so the Lord really just took me through, you know, I'm having like an identity crisis at like 17, <laughs> which is funny, but it set the stage for the Lord just redefining my um, identity and what I saw myself as. And so I dug deep and realized like the reason why I wanted to be a doctor was because I like to help people through the healing process. Mm. That's really what it was. It was helping people heal and be better. Right. And so I, I realized that I could do the same thing as a social worker. My mom um, has a BA in sociology. So I got my BA in sociology with the plan to move on to social work, which I did. And it's funny because I actually work in the medical field now, but my passion work is helping women heal, is partnering with God and helping women heal. And so I guess in some ways I, I still became a doctor, awesome. uh, maybe more of a soul. <laughs> but yeah, like that's that story. And I, I really love sharing it because I realized like, I think that God puts certain desires in us, even as a, in our young age, and we may not understand it and it may not always come out how it is, but when we examine who God created us to be and what our affinities are, we mm -hmm. find purpose, right? There's something Amen. about, there was something about being a doctor that appealed to me even at that age. But as I grew older, God was able to refine that and show me really where my purpose was. I love it. So now you are, you know, the founder and creator of Authentically Wed. Tell us what that is about and what was the original intention when you began that journey? Because, you know, sometimes we start a thing and it transforms into something else because God laughs at our plan and makes it yes. into what it's supposed to be. So I would love if you could share that with us. What Authentically Wed is, is a platform, like you said before, that helps people become their healthiest, most authentic selves in their intimate relationships from a biblical perspective. Um, so it sets a foundation for um, ha doing relationships God's way. Whatever stage you are in that, from single to married, how do we do this the way God intended? What is God's heart and intent? But it started out two years ago, really, like as far as from idea to um, to fruition, but it started out as like this thing. I, I was married. And two weeks after I got married, I started graduate school for social work. And after my first semester, I realized like I lost a lot of, not my identity, but my identity was kind of wrapped in me being a wife, me being a grad student and a leader at my church. And so I was like, God, I need something that's just you and me. Because at this point, I feel like everyone has a piece of me except me. And so what can I do? You know, like what, what, what can we do together? Like, and so as I was praying and really seeking God, I kept hearing the word authentic, 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 and I couldn't shake it. And so as I continued to dig in, I, I decided like the idea came like, okay, a blog and let's talk about like authentic marriage, you know, and, and what that looks like. Cause I was in my friend group, I was one of the first people to get married. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them kind of looked to me for advice and like, what's it like? You know, I was kind of their guinea pig. And, <laughs> um, and even matter of fact, my, um, when I had my uh, bachelorette party, everybody's bachelorette party is like fun and wild and all this stuff. Y'all, my bachelorette party turned into like an altar call. People <laughs> there and they're like, okay, so there were some older women that I look up to, not really that much older, but they were my, you know, mothers and big sisters in the faith. And they were there, they were helping me plan my wedding and everything. And we ended up all sitting in a circle after all the games were played and the laughs were last. 
and people started asking questions about marriage and relationships and how to, you know, continue to love and support me and be my friend as I transitioned through this. And so I realized like where I was fortunate to have women of faith to cover me and love me and walk alongside me, a lot of other women didn't. So I wanted to create this platform to help them just live this marriage thing out authentically, right? Like not the way anybody else says you should, but the way God says you should and in a real way, right? Like so blogs either tell you you need to be perfect and make sure that, you know, your house is clean, your kids are fed, and, and you know, you better be throwing it back every day. Can I say throwing it back on here? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can, girl. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, so, yeah, you're supposed to be, you know, doing all of that stuff. But like none of that is really realistic. Anybody who's actually been married knows that you're not like it's not all glitter and gold. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it is, it's really just for a second. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just create that space where women knew that there was no. And that was kind of my thing. Like there's no one way to wife. But God had other plans um, about in my last semester of grad school. So I launched AW. I was blogging. and I was active on social media. I had a little bit of a following. Um, but my last semester in grad school, my husband was sent away for work. And it was the first time we were separated for that period for a length of time. And unfortunately, while he was away, like within the first week, he started an affair. Um, oh, wow. And that was uh, uh, eventually getting a divorce. And I thought that that meant, you know, God, like, let me just let go of this. Like, what do I, what, nobody's going to listen to me. Like, I failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. no authenticity like you don't want to listen to somebody talk about marriage who failed at it like what and I remember the Lord saying you will not let this go and so I spent some time just healing and recovering and just dealing with the realities of separation and divorce and after that um, I came to a point where I heard the Lord say use what you have in your hand mm-hmm. and so I'm like well, what do I have like yeah I mean I just got a job my first job out of grad school I'm barely making ends meet like what do you you can't possibly want me to do anything with this like surely not you know but after that um just having moments with God where um he just reminded me like I will if you trust me if you trust me with your story I will make your ladder greater than your former and I Mm -hmm. I did and we rebranded and it just became about having healthy and authentic relationships with yourself with God and with those who you know you come in contact with and it's been an amazing, I mean, this is not what I imagined at all. Like you couldn't pay me to believe that this is what my life would look like, but it's been the most amazing journey. 4,000 members, uh, shoot, what, four events and a whole, we have a dating show now. Later, awesome. God is just, and I, and I wrote a book. And so just all of these things have come from that. And I think the encouragement and all that is like, it's never the end. Like there's always a plot twist with God. Even something as detri- as um, heartbreaking and, and ground shaking as divorce can turn into the beginning of the most amazing journey of your life. Absolutely. I 1000% agree with you on that. I mean, I can totally relate. I mean, I went through my divorce back in 2009 um, wow. and having to redefine or to actually just find myself and mm-hmm. tap into who I was as a person because I had spent almost 15 years of my life, if not more, yeah. dedicating myself and doing what a man wants me to do. You know, two eight and a half year relationships back to back. So I had to learn who I was. But, you know, you spoke to 
not listening to that inside voice of saying, you know, you failed. Why would people listen to you? Mm-hmm. And you didn't change the goal, but you kind of pivoted and did a rebrand and it's going mm-hmm. beautifully. I think that's important for people to hear because oftentimes they will look at an obstacle or anything that's in the way as complete failure and that they should quit rather than sticking with the goal and just reconfiguring how you get there. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So Absolutely. how do you how do you stay motivated? <laughs> um <laughs> to be honest, I think what keeps me motivated is like it's two things. So one, I really believe that God saved my life. Like mm. for the trauma that I should have never outlived based off of that experience alone. I feel like I owe God my life. Like he gave me purpose and a reason to stick around any, I don't, I really don't know many people who or anyone at all who has encountered a traumatic like relationship or or a really hard breakup and not gone through depression. And, you know, for the more extreme ones, like suicidal ideation or suicidal attempts, like I I experienced that. And so I really believe that it's like, I I owe it to God to give him my life in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I remember promising like, God, if you bring me out, I will pull other people out of the trenches with me. And so I feel like I have to uphold that. Like I have to, people need to know that there is a life after relational trauma. Like you have to know. I'm mm-hmm. one of and the other thing is that like when you find what like burns your soul, like when you find what really ignites you and you find purpose, you don't even like what is motivation when you have purpose? Your pain birthed your purpose. I say that all the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It does. And and honey, listen, your pain, your your pain will pay. Yeah. Okay, if you use if you heal and you use it the right way, you will profit from you can profit from it, but not in mm-hmm. a selfish way, obviously, right? Like not in a way where we're like pimping out our wounds, right? Because that's not cool. Mm-hmm. But like if you if you use it, like the Bible literally says, what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for yep. the saving of many lives. Mm-hmm. For the saving of many lives. You can profit off of that thing. And profit is not just about money, but about outcomes. Mm-hmm. And yep. so um, because I have found purpose, like I, I have a reason to do it every single day. Like you don't have to poke and prop me to go live or to do a session or to, you know, do what it is. Now, of course, some days I'm tired, like today. Um, I'll get my nails <laughs> done and falling asleep. <laughs> but after I get off of this, I have stuff to do because I'm purpose to do it. Right. So what inspires you the most about what you do? I think people like the testimony. The testimonies of people who have encountered my platform, who have been to an event, who've done a session with me, like those things. I'm like, oh, like, cause you know, you, I, I let, let's, let's be honest, right? We're being transparent. I talk a big game, right? Like, I just told you guys I felt purpose. I, you know, this has been an amazing journey, all this stuff. But like, self doubt is a thing. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That was definitely a thing. And imposter syndrome, like, girl, you're not in the enemy whispering in your ears, like, girl, you ain't really doing this thing. What you, what, cause you put on a couple events cause you did a couple lives. Like you thought you did something like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And you, sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, well, I mean, I guess you're right. Like, what am I really doing? And then somebody comes along and is like, I, I came to your event and literally 
because of that, I have totally changed my perspective on relationships or I've been in the group for six months and it has been amazing. Or I had one session with you and now I have changed the way that I interact with people like that. Mm -hmm. It reminds me like that's what I'm still this is why I'm still here. This is why I'm, I'm still needed. I love that you, ooh, I got goosebumps. Ooh. I love that. <laughs> I love that you, um, you know, speak to how when people are impacted and them sharing that with you helps to keep you inspired. People underestimate how much it can mean to somebody just to hear and to get that yeah. affirmation or confirmation that they are being fruitful and adding value to other people's lives. I mean, I can totally relate to you where I hear all the time, whether it be on social media or my clients as well, where I'll get messages from a woman who says, you know, your post on social media helped me get through chemo or your book helped me get through, you know, grieving the loss of a loved one or, you know, or, or, or. So when you get those messages, because like you said, imposter syndrome is real. I strongly believe, and I got this from my mentor, that our spiritual DNA is perfect, but we allow Mm -hmm. viruses to come in and to hinder us and to block us with the Mm self-doubt and the worry and the fear. And those things come in and hinder us from being the greatness that God has called us to be. And we, if we continue to allow that, then we'll never get to where we need to be. But when we hear the feedback from people, those things are important. It may not seem like a big deal, but if someone is making a difference in your life, tell them. If someone is inspiring you, tell them. If you love somebody, tell them. Those things can mean the world. Like the smallest thing can mean the world to somebody else. It can. It can. And being on a platform doesn't mean you're you're too good for it or that you don't need. I think sometimes people assume that because you have a platform or a following or you're you're in business or whatever that like oh you must not need the same thing like we're so we're so regular like we're so, right we are we human beings <laughs> we bleed blood our hearts beat like yes. people, even to that point that you just spoke about it doesn't matter if you have a platform example I have a daughter who is an influencer on Instagram. She may have, I don't know, 350,000 followers. And on TikTok, she's up to like, I don't know, 200,000 plus people who write. Thank you. (laughs) But people (laughs) don't understand, you know, when they come in the comments because she engages with her community, she connects with people. So when people say negative things, it impacts her. It hurts her feelings. When people say positive things, it impacts her. She's not holding on to that and, you know, living on people's every word, but she is a human being. So right. it doesn't matter what size your platform is. You still need that encouragement. You still need that support. You still need that love and that light. And yeah, it's so important. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to a woman that is healing from brokenness and relational trauma? Mm, one, and I, I think I always have to make a, a point to not for people to not dismiss this, but it's literally the first chapter of my book and always the thing that I point out when people ask me, but keeping Christ is your anger. Like, I know you're mad. I know you feel frustrated and you feel like, and in some ways, maybe God is, is a part of the object of your frustration and sadness and anger. That is normal, but he mm-hmm. can do so much more when you bring him your anger and your frustration and your like, just all of those, those feelings. He can do more when you bring it to him than when you walk away. And mm. you will never regret bringing your wounds and your brokenness at the feet of Jesus. And what that looks like practically, because that sounds pretty, right? 
But what it looks like practically is making time, like do not forsake the place of prayer. Do not forsake that time. Like I remember every single morning, every, I couldn't function before I just had time where I sat there and maybe just wept. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was still fighting for my marriage, you know, but even after that, like just, I can't function until I sit and I just like lay all of my brokenness at Jesus feet. And sometimes it looked like praying. Sometimes it looked like um, crying. Sometimes it looked like playing music and just being still, whatever that was. But I know that although it looked like I was either crying, praying, or just sitting still, God was mending. God was, was patching up those wounds in that moment. And so that, and the other really big thing is to engage your tribe. So whoever Mm -hmm. your close community is, you need to be letting them know one, that you're going through this. So not everybody, everybody doesn't need to know, but if you have a trusted three, four, five friends, Um, or even two, you pull on them and you say, hey, I'm in this season where I am experiencing brokenness. Um, Mm -hmm. I am going through a divorce and I need you to to make sure that I ate today. And I literally did this. Um, I I texted, I did a group text the day that me and my ex decided to like file. I texted my friends and I said, hey, we decided to file. This is what I need. Over the next few months, I need you to make sure I eat because sometimes I don't. I need Mm -hmm. you to make sure I drink water. I need you to make sure that, you know, at nighttime, um, I'm not just sitting in a corner and crying. Um, I, I need you to check in on me, but don't blow my phone up. Um, I need you to come by the house, but let me know you're coming first. Things like that, right? Very specific things that I needed um, and that I was aware of that I, I would need in my patterns before I can, before I'm in a place where I can't tell them anymore. Right. So if I'm crying and like, I'm not going to reach out. But in that moment, I had enough to say, this is what I need. And I know, you know, like I know at this point, you guys may be concerned about me. I'm okay right now, but this is what I need. You need to, you need to talk to those whom you trust to carry you through this. You are not, healing alone is not an option. It's not right. When you look in the Bible, people didn't just heal by themselves. We see instances of friends carrying, they're carrying a man through the roof in order for him to see Jesus um, and be healed. We see the father who his daughter was dying. He went to go find Jesus. You need to connect with people who can find Jesus when you can't. Amen. Amen. Who can take care of you um, when you can't do it yourself. Um, I've had people, I have people bringing me food and making sure that they just sat there and watched TV with me because if they didn't do that, I would be, I would just sit at home and cry or have a panic attack or something. Mm -hmm. You need people who, who know how to just cover you and love you and pray for you, um, especially in those moments when you can't. So those are the two things that I really recommend to people. And then obviously getting a licensed therapist or coach or somebody to walk you through this season because you need, you need it. It's yeah. not even a question of do maybe you need it. Uh, I think the the word therapy needs to be more normalized, especially in the black community. But because yeah. I, I, I feel like it's a stigma because already right. we don't necessarily like to talk about mental health. And it comes from, you know, cultural backgrounds where, right. for example, in the Caribbean, the minute you talk about mm-hmm. mental health, someone's, you know, crazy or gone mad, oh, yeah, they disown crazy. you, mm-hmm. right? They, yep. they So learning that therapy can actually not only help you and find ways to cope, but it's like a tune up for your car. It's like it something that should be done regularly to help you along the way. Absolutely. 
you spoke to when someone is is healing prayer having a community or tribe and therapy those three things are so 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 important it's it makes me think of you know the pillars of resilience because when you're going through a divorce or when you've lost a loved one whether you've lost them because they moved on in life or they've moved on out of your life it is a Mm -hmm. grieving process that you're going through yeah and Absolutely. you need to definitely be gentle with yourself. But with the, like, I think about the five pillars of resilience. So self-awareness, mindfulness, self-care, positive relationships, and having purpose. And yeah. I think it's important as women, no matter what you're going through, don't feel like you are alone. Don't feel like you should sit in your emotions or in your problems by yourself. We were not put here, like you said, to to go through these things alone, find a support system, have people that you can, like you said, let them know ahead of time what you need. Yeah. Don't be afraid to reach out to your, I call mine my celebration circle because I know that I can share my, my wins with them and my losses, but that inner, (laughs) that inner circle to know that they have your back, that they're, you know, they care for you. Those are it's so important when you are feeling like you are on your face and you know you should be on your knees in prayer but to have yeah. that that those positive relationships around you yes absolutely and i really enjoy what you said like you have to give yourself grace in this season mm-hmm. um, is that if you're going through a season like that um, where you're experiencing relational brokenness or you've you know overcome like relational trauma or you're trying to move past that you have to give yourself grace you're not going to get it all right just because the relationship is over doesn't mean that the effects of it are. And so right. you have to give yourself grace, allow yourself to grieve. Like you said, allow yourself to um, not always say the perfect thing or do the perfect thing, obviously using self-control, mm-hmm. um, but you're, it takes time. And the, and the healing is a process. You've never yep. gotten a cut and it healed the same day you got it. Never. Exactly. Exactly. And everyone's process can be different and we all heal at different paces. So just be gentle with yourself. Exactly. Okay. So tell us what is one thing that most people don't know about Vernique? Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I tell everybody everything. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, what's something people don't know about me? I really love the theater. So I did theater for four years in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I had like, I got an award. I like, I love it. And so my second life, I guess, I don't know. Like, at what point in my life I'll be able to do this, but, like, in the second leg of my life, maybe when I'm, like, 40 or something, which I'm super, <laughs> by the way, I don't know why, but 40 to me, like, I can't wait to be 40. But well, that's, you know, now. <laughs> oh, like, I'm, I'm jealous. Like, 40 <laughs> is like, amazing. I've never met a 40-year-old who was, like, unsure of themselves. Like, I think that's the age where you're like, you know what, screw it. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yep, you were unapologetically yourself. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. But um, I think maybe, you know, a little bit later in life, once I'm, my businesses are a bit more self-sufficient, I want to go into acting. I want to be an actor. Beautiful. I love that. Okay. So (laughs) what what other adversities have you had to experience to get to where you are today? A part of my story, which I guess kind of goes with something that people don't know about me, but actually in my younger years, it was just me and my mom. My father left when I was three. And during that time, we hopped from house to house or basement to basement to the point where at one point um, I was like literally homeless. Like we lived in a homeless shelter 
Um, and then we moved to kind of a nicer homeless shelter that was um, more an apartment style. And then finally, I was able to watch my mom buy her first home. So through that process, I lived in, I was originally born in New Jersey, but I moved to Philly, Arizona, um, then Georgia. And even within that, I by the time I went to college, I think I went to, like I stopped counting, but I went to over 15 different schools. Wow. Probably, really probably more, but after a while, I just stopped counting. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've had a lot of instability in my life. And it's actually one of my things, like my my favorite symbol is the anchor, because I believe it's something that I have been searching for, you know, most of my life is stability and feeling anchored. And I feel like I've gotten more of that in my adulthood. Uh, But it's so funny because even right now, like I bought a house in Atlanta and I'm now a travel social worker. So for the last year, I've been traveling from city to city. And I'm like, what? Like, what was the point? But I'm really enjoying it. But I'm realizing that stability is not about, you know, where I live, but about being, like, stable and and whole within myself. And, like, if I am anchored, then everything else falls into place. And so, um, but that's a big one. You know, being fatherless was Mm -hmm. huge for me, especially as a child. Um, And homeless and you know poverty like those types of things were were really big for me and I think it set up a lot I mean you know if since we're since we're basically doing a therapy session at this point um I think it set up a lot it set kind of the framework for in some ways why I chose my husband right Mm. why my now ex-husband and so when you look at those things and this is a big point and this is why I even recommend like, you know, trauma work and stuff like that. Even prior to marriage, a lot of people feel like, you know, I don't know why, but as, as especially as Christian women, it's like your life doesn't begin until you get married. But if you want to sustain a marriage, like the way you do that is by dealing with some of those things. So that right. way you're not bringing that into your, into your relationship. And so in a lot of ways, as much as I don't know a heck of a lot, like I didn't have a deep relationship with my father. I kind of ended up marrying him, right? And I I found out that a lot of my connections were built in men who were not available emotionally or, mm-hmm. you know, in whatever way. And so I learned to kind of almost buy people's affection with my kindness or with my availability. And so those are some of those barriers and things that I've had to work on and allow God to heal even in me, right. um, even during and after experiencing divorce. Wow. I mean, I think it's so, well, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to experience those things being, you know, fatherless and homeless, but you've been able to use those things to sharpen you to become who you are today. And there are so many women that have been on the show that have spoke to their seasons in homelessness and how, Mm. you know, it's built them to now be dedicated and how it's helped them to be resilient and they've taken the positive from it to make the life that they have today. Yeah. But you spoke to that point about, you know, even though you were not raised by your father, but the type of men that you ended up choosing mm-hmm. because women, and I'm going to say women in, in the black community, because therapy isn't as common, we don't realize the traumas that we are carrying with us. And as much as I have been so engulfed in personal development, as much as I'm a mindset Mm -hmm. coach, as much as I'm a believer and go to church and all these things, it's only recently, and I'm going to say 2020, that I started investing in therapy and healing sessions and realized that my childhood traumas 
are the reason why I've attracted narcissistic men, men who mm. have narcissistic pers- personality disorder. So now mm-hmm. I am trying to heal those childhood wounds so I can no, like no longer attract those types yeah. of men. Exactly. So we don't realize as adults the things are the, the behaviors and the things that we do, how that is associated to our upbringing and our childhood traumas and things that we did not heal from. Yeah, like that is huge though. And people don't realize. And so this is something that I was talking to somebody about earlier and I was telling them the behaviors, like your patterns and the things that you see yourself doing consistently, especially the ones that are dysfunctional, they mm-hmm. are attached to a system. They yep. are attached to a system. And so what what you're seeing, right? So let's say the thing is, um, like we're talking about being attracted to or attracting narcissistic men, there is a system attached to that behavior. Yep. And what that is, is there's um, a belief, there's an experience, mm-hmm. there's, there's a feeling, and all of those packaged into one, the outcome of it is choosing narcissistic men. When you deal with the root, when you deal with the system, and you, yep. you take out and you clean those things that are no longer working, right? Those things that, are, that leave you, you root it out from the, the bottom. Yep. <laughs> yes. When you deal with the root, you cut down the tree, right? You make yep. a healthier, yep. you make a healthier tree. And so it's not about changing just the behavior. The way you change the behavior is to rework the system that enables the behavior. And what we don't realize too, and you're getting me on my soapbox, but what we don't realize <laughs> too is we would stop doing it if it didn't wreak some sort of reward for us. Absolutely. And so yeah. we think that we hate dating narcissistic men, right? Like I'm tired of dating the same kind of men, but if you really hated it, we wouldn't keep doing it, right? There's something right. about it. And that I, I could tell you exactly how us. I got into that. <laughs> exactly. There's something about it that is, attra- and I'm saying us because I, I married the same type of guy, but mm-hmm. there's something about it that is attractive to us. There's something about it that, that somehow like it's that sweet kind of like the snake in the garden like he said well that's just it it's the python spirit so there you go there we go yeah well the python spirit okay they wrap themselves around you mm -hmm. and that is how they they get you but with the narcissistic Mm -hmm. uh people you know they come in with the love bombing so the the nurturing Mm -hmm. the love that we didn't get that we seeked as children they come in and love the heck out of you and make you feel all of the amazing feelings and get deep into your thoughts and your feelings and ask Mm -hmm. you everything to get you into that vulnerable place and make you feel like you are the center of their world. And then that's when they switch on you like a snake. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, the crazy thing is though, I, I think, and this is where, you know, this comes down to my process, but I think in a lot of ways, I do not believe that, because we knew each other since we were 18. So this mm-hmm. was like a six or so year relationship. And mm-hmm. so I don't think that at 18, he was like, man, like, how can I F this girl's life up? Like, mm-hmm. how can I create the six year plan to ruin her life or to, you know, really like leave her with nothing? I don't think it's that. But what it is, is the same way that we experience trauma and brokenness. People come yep. in to relationships with the same stuff. It just looks different or it has different manifestations. Mm-hmm. But like those people who abuse, people who are unfaithful or, or cause relational brokenness, they have their own brokenness, right? Like That's right. People hurt their own, exactly. So, their own traumas. So, yeah. Exactly. And so I think when we look at it, it's easier to heal when you don't, when you're not trying to heal from this like bad guy or from this like enemy. But when you, when you look at the enemy, 
and recognize mm-hmm. like, oh, I see what you did. Like you tricked this person into thinking, into thinking this about themselves or into the experiences that they had in their childhood. You, you uh, convinced them basically that this is all they could be and this is all they were. And you, there's the, their own system at work. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the enemy, because we live in a fallen world. And so now it's not just about you, 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 you did this to me, you did that to me, but you turn your focus towards God because it's the enemy. Like, oh, the enemy was at work in him, just like he's attempting to take me out. Let me shift my focus from the person, remove mm-hmm. the, the the desire to be bitter and to be vengeful, yep. to whatever, and let me go to the source. Like, who can actually deal with this spiritual issue? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so that to me, like, I think we can talk about narcissism and, and all these types of things. But but when we recognize that it is a literal disorder as well yep. as this spiritual attack, it changes the way you deal with the thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Funny enough, I've been doing a series of talks on IG. So they're on my IGTV because of this. So learning about the spiritual side of narcissistic personality disorder and learning after having multiple relationships with them, how to not take it personal and not, you know, play the whole victim mentality, but to come from a place of healing, especially thank God for therapy, but to be able to share the stories, not only to let people know that people who do this, uh, they've experienced trauma in their lives and the empaths that take them on it's because of the trauma that we've experienced in our exactly. lives and letting people know the signs, the red flags to look out for, because you don't see them in the beginning. No, you don't. You really don't. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> with all of this that you've been through and all of the things that you do to help others, how do you take care of Veronique? What does your self-care routine look like? Oh, see, I didn't know I was going to be interrogated. I thought... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be about me. No, um, I admittedly, I am not as good as self at self care as I should be. However, what I because I know this, I try and embed certain things in my routine. So um, Sundays are my Sabbath, not because it has to be because that's the best day for me to rest. So between daytime to sundown, I make sure that I'm you know, spending time in the word, watching, you know, we got to watch everything. So watching a sermon, I catch up with my best friend on that day. I lay out. I don't really force myself to do anything. I really just chill. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's a big deal. And it's actually an undertaking because I am a doer. Like I always want to do something. Mm-hmm. So for me, having built in, like, this does not change. I do not work on Sundays is one thing that I do. The other thing is um, on Saturdays, in the daytime, I make sure because self-care is not just about like lounging, right? But mm-hmm. it's also about making sure that you are doing the things that um, make room for you to live healthier and, and more engaged with your life. And so on Saturday morning, I, one, I don't force myself to wake up early. I let myself sleep in like whatever time my body naturally wants to wake up. And then um, I get to, like, I do household chores, but I'll play music. And, like, I just do it at my own pace. I allow myself to move at my own pace. Um, Mm -hmm. And the pace that I naturally want to, as opposed to, you know, doing a schedule. Like, you know, how I I work a nine to five, so going to work and then coming home and then doing work. And then I have, you know, this this course, or I have to do this live or, you know, whatever. So I don't put a schedule on it, but I do know that I have to get certain things done. Um, and then in the evenings, like I reserve that for my friends. So pre-COVID, 
Uh, I would, you know, <laughs> go out with, to dinner with my friends. We have a game night. Nowadays, we're catching up on Zoom calls. So I build in those types of things. And then um, in the evenings, I now have a sleep routine. Thanks to one of my friends who's a doctor, um, Dr. G. She has me, she told me to get on a sleep routine. So my goal in the evenings is to be done by 1030. It doesn't always happen. Um, make <laughs> some tea. Because, you know, I'm Caribbean. So I'm sure you're Caribbean too, right? Yep. Yep. My parents yeah, are from Jamaica. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we love our tea. So, mm-hmm. um, I have a mug of tea and just lay it on down and make sure that I'm getting rest. That part, I'm not as good at, but everything else, like weekends, I don't push myself to do too much. <laughs> you see, you said you didn't have very much of a self-care routine, but you do. Like, and your results, like with everything, results are in the routine, right? So yeah. your your routine of making sure that you get in the word your routine of making sure that you rest and relax and take time to reset Mm -hmm. your routine of friendships and connecting with people and and community and your routine of not working on Sundays. Like that is self-care. Thank you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) My friends get on me all the time. Like, when do you stop? I'm like, I don't know when stuff stops needing to be done. (laughs) (laughs) So I have this complete random question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Okay. And it started because of my obsession with stilettos. But I came across this article on the Reader's Digest that basically you know, tells you what your personality is based on your favorite type of shoe. So I would oh. love to know, Veronique, do you know what your favorite type of shoe is? Is it like a high heel boot, a running shoe, a stiletto, a flip-flop, a wedge, a mule, a, I don't know, clogs, loafers? boots i don't know (laughs) you know what so my favorite type of shoe this is that so in high school and college i used to wear heels all the time trekking all across campus now like my knees are ruined so (laughs) uh, i do wear heels from time to time but i'm kind of stuck between like mary jane's and i have these riding boots that are like they're flat but they're they hug my calves which one do i like let's go with boots Okay. Um, would you say a high heel boot or like a work boot? Oh no, not not work boot. So okay. let's go with let's go with a uh, high heel boot. Okay. So high heel boot wearers take charge. In the event of a crisis, the person who loves wearing high heel boots will always be the one to take control of the situation. They're quick on their feet and able to make clear, rational decisions. This woman is exceptionally self-assured, so people around her feel instantly safer in her hands. The high heel boot wearer is that take charge kind of person. She loves being center stage and is very assertive. Sounds sound like you? For the most part, yeah. I'm actually surprised <laughs> how like good that was. Yeah, some of that maybe like a little bit off, but most of it was like on point. That was awesome. Really good. Okay, all right. So uh, before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell the people where they could stay connected with you online. Yeah, so you can follow me at Authentically Wed on Instagram, or you can join the Authentically Wed Facebook group. Um, you can also join uh, my mailing list at www.verniqueester.com where I am now um, offering re- like recovery sessions. So I'll be doing transformational coaching and helping women move from brokenness and trauma into um, hope and healing. 
Awesome. Awesome. So I will have the links in the details section below the episode so they can click and connect with you. They won't have to search too far. Awesome. And for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. It's kind of like a rapid fire. I just ask you a couple of reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Hmm. Um, there is a book called um, A Memoir of My Body. Uh, that's not the essential title, but it's by Roxanne Gay. Um, she talks about her experiences. Uh, hunger it's called hunger a memoir of my body and she talks about her experiences as a woman who is obese morbidly obese actually which is not my story but just the way that she talks about her body and yeah like I really it's caused me to kind of look at myself and my experiences in a different way okay if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it what would it say and why Ooh, heal for real Mm. Um, love it (laughs) why so my one of my this is kind of uh whatever but one of my one of my posts that actually went viral sometime last year um it said don't heal to prove a point heal for real and so heal for real has always stuck in my mind like don't just don't like it's only when you build a house well that's how it lasts right if you build your healing off of um proving a point or trying to hurry up and move on like it doesn't last but if you Mm -hmm. heal for real um, you can live a life that is amazing. I love that. Uh, name one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made. And that could be money, time, energy. One of the most worth. Oh, going to grad school. Okay. So taking that time to, like, I love being a social worker. Honestly, it's amazing. And my concentration is behavioral health. So counseling and therapy. Um, it was the best thing. I think that it really changed my mind. I, I think that because of what I learned on how to help others was what was able to help me. Like I had the tools in mm-hmm. order to um, move forward. And so I think it, it gave me a vocation, but it also pushed me towards purpose and healing as well. Love it. Okay. Uh, what new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Ooh, in the last five years mm-hmm. I don't know but I did start reading boundaries that probably should have been my um life-changing book even though I'm not done with it yet but <laughs> I have changed a lot of the ways that I've interacted with people just based off of the first two chapters um so learning how to like exercising my autonomy and saying no um more <laughs> mm-hmm. and um not being uh, being unapologetic about my decisions and the things that I want so yeah like just exercising more boundaries and living a life that's not just about responsibility. Right. Love it. Okay. Last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? <laughs> there are so many things. Um, <laughs> I wish women would, oh gosh, I wish women would enjoy the life that they have mm. currently. Not looking for a future life. And I mean, this is not to say like you can't have a hope for the future. Please do. Mm-hmm. But we're often chasing things that we don't have that very few of us are content with what we do have. And I think that we would experience life and life more abundantly if we tuned in and were grateful for and loved and thoroughly enjoyed the life that we have right now, whatever that looks like. I 1000% agree with you on that. I'm a true believer in not only gratitude, but being appreciative for the moment living in the moment 
And they say that whatever you were chasing is running from you. So, you know, mm-hmm. be in harmony with God, be in harmony with the spirit and stop trying to force things um, for the way that we want them to exactly. be and be grateful for the way that things are right now. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Wow. Thank you so much, Vernie. I so appreciate you sharing your story and all of your gems with us today. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Like you are amazing. You are super dope. So I'm so <laughs> glad you. that I, I'm so glad that I was invited here. And anytime, anytime that I get a chance to do stuff like this, like I think it it blesses me more than anything else. So thank you for having me. Wow. Thank you so much, man. You have no idea how much I appreciate this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Join the community of Faith Walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com. And don't forget to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you could think of one person that would receive value from today's show, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode. You could tag us on Instagram. You can tag Veronique at AuthenticallyWed or at Veronique Esther. And you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.